I want to thank Research Consultants International for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion in projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about research consultants. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic development organizations. Call them now. They can help you create real prospects. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today I've got Trish Adams with us today and she has her own podcast. So we're going to be simulcasting today, but she's sitting in New Orleans. We're doing this in the New Orleans studio. So I said I get to be the one to talk first, Trish. So now I'll let you do your normal introduction. <laughs> Chad, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I'm excited for our listeners on the East Kentucky Works podcast to hear this as well. I am Trish Adams, and I'm the industry liaison for the Eastern Kentucky Concentrated Employment Program, and we are the Workforce Development Agency for a 23-county region in Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, and talk about what y'all have done. So I've I've watched from afar, and Chuck Sexton is there, and, you know, he's close to me, and uh, I've watched really how he's recruited companies, and he's used some tremendous workforce data. Y'all have been able to show how people – they were in the coal mining business, how they can transfer to other industries. So just talk about all that stuff y'all have done and not only the studies you've done, but how it's turned out to make real success. Great. Thank you so much, Chad. Yes. When Chuck Sexton first came on board uh, as president and CEO of One East Kentucky, which is the nine-county economic development firm, so when he first came on board, he you know, he called us up and he said, hey, do we have any data to talk about the workforce in eastern Kentucky? And we're like, no, we don't have that. But we need that. We need to find out where we need to implement trainings for our employers and uh, things like that. So we worked on the uh, East Kentucky Works study with Mm -hmm. Boyette Strategic Advisors out of Arkansas. And we've got some really good data that shows in Eastern Kentucky that we have an available skilled workforce. So Chuck is working tirelessly to uh, use that as a selling tool to recruit new industry. And he's having some successes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I read the study, and I think it was done by Dale Boyette's outfit, and they do great work. And, and what it showed is, you know, a coal miner, which I think you've got ten or 15,000 of them laid off. Is that right? We, at one point in time, we had over 12,000 dislocated coal industry workers. Wow, and we did receive some federal funding from the Department of Labor to assist them and their spouses to oh. enter a new career pathway. So we're working to do some things like that, especially when we're getting some new industry. Right. Well, I know when I read this study, it showed that, you know, coal miner, they're very careful people. You know, they're used to working in dangerous situations and, and, uh, and a lot of them are real good in metal working. And, but it also, this study shows that they can do aerospace jobs real well. Cause you know, those are precise. You got to be careful. 
And so I thought it was really well done. And I really admire how you all have taken kind of a, 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 a bad thing and turned it into a good thing. You know, the whole country's looking for labor. I don't care where you are. This, this week I've been in Illinois, Colorado, Florida, and Wyoming, and everybody's looking for labor, and y'all are the one place that has it, <laughs> so, and you can prove that, so I think, I think that's all going well, so talk about, you know, when, uh, like, I know Dadgecore just announced an aluminum plant in that area, 200 jobs, I think it is. Yes, in, in and the- we're so excited about that, and I had the opportunity to go to Canada with Chuck Sexton back in February and uh, talk about the workforce and uh, talk about what we can do for them to expand. What we found was Dashcore was pretty much at maximum capacity in Chatham, uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot of contracts here in the U.S. And so whenever they heard that, yes, Eastern Kentucky does have an available skilled workforce, mm-hmm. they really dug in and invested in our region and it's going to be putting some people back to work. So we're excited, very excited about that. Right. And don't you find most of the coal miners, they want to, they want to stay there. I mean, most of them are born and raised there. Their families are there. And so it's easy for people to say, well, why don't they just move to other places to get jobs? But, but you know, they really don't want to. I mean, so you, right. you I mean, so that's why Chuck's efforts and what all y'all are doing are so important. And, and that's the beauty of this Dashcore project, too, mm-hmm. because we feel like the president and CEO, the VP of operations, the HR director, all of the guys there, they understand the culture. They understand Eastern Kentucky because our communities are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Are you a basketball fan? I, I know am. that just started up. We're, we're not sure when this will drop, but we're recording this November 9th, and that just started up. So y'all had a big win. You beat Michigan State, didn't you? Yes, we're night, so excited. So. Yes, I do bleed blue. So, yeah, yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And by the way, Chad, New Orleans is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. We're sitting here oh. in, in your office, I guess, and the view is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, looking over the Mississippi River, it's just beautiful here, and I really appreciate the opportunity here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you give away our secret. We record these in my, my studio, which is my kitchen table. <laughs> so I didn't tell her that she could say that. So, yeah, we're sitting at my kitchen table looking out over the, over the city, and it's a big weekend here. LSU and Alabama play today. It's in Alabama, but that'll still be a big thing in New Orleans. And tomorrow, the Saints play the Falcons. So, so it's a it's a big big weekend here. Talk about some of the other stuff y'all are doing, and really the focus of your podcast channel and uh, some of the guests y'all have had, and some of those things. Well, we basically focus on workforce and economic development. Although that EKSEP, we're the workforce development agency. We don't really do economic development, but we mm-hmm. feel like we dabble enough in it that we know just enough to be dangerous. Right. I guess. Right. <laughs> but. We have some really great projects going on. I don't know if a lot of people are aware, but we have a little guitar shop that started Mm. up in Knott County. It's the School of Luthery. They're making stringed instruments from Appalachian hardwood right there in eastern Kentucky. So they're hoping to build pipeline of those guitars mm-hmm. that they can ship all over the world. I can't wait maybe when Chris Stapleton starts playing one of those oh. guitars on stage. <laughs> Have him on your podcast. Yes, I would love to. <laughs> and then we've got some really great projects going on with the uh, our region's largest employer, which is Appalachia Regional Healthcare. We've got a great partnership with Galen College of Nursing mm-hmm. trying to build that pipeline of nurses for ARH because they've had to hire a lot of agency right. nurses yeah you guys really work well together as a region and so you know i get to travel a country a lot and it's hard to do regional economic development i mean you know you just got so many counties and cities and not everybody can get along and i know chuck's deal i think is nine counties and yours is 23 you say right i mean that is a, a 
just as I travel, that's hard to pull off. But but I've been up there two or three times and, and come to meetings where there's 500 people and everybody's having a good time, not only talking business. So, you know, why do you think y'all have been able to pull together and work so well as a region when other places have a hard time doing that? I think one of the big factors is we live there. We see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. We have the passion for the region and we know what we have there mm-hmm. with our workforce. And we feel like that we need more opportunities for our folks to choose from. Yeah. Well, and uh, I was in Pikeville where that annual meeting was. And I don't know if you've ever been to Pikeville, Kentucky, but you literally come around a mountain and here's this beautiful university that's up on the side of the hill. And they told me it had like one of the best optometry schools, I think it was. and nursing schools and i got to sit next to the former governor Patton at the dinner and he got to tell me all about it but i mean it's just a, it's a beautiful place once you get there you know and i, I find that uh, once you get into that area like there it's kind of a, it's a hidden surprise i had never really heard of pipeville kentucky till i got there but i could live there and be perfectly happy i mean we went to a great restaurant and university and all it was just fantastic well thank you so much for saying that i really appreciate it that is my home that's you know eastern kentucky is where i was born mm-hmm. and raised and I have five siblings, and all of my siblings left Eastern Kentucky to find work. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody out there has heard the Dwight Yoakam song, Reading, Writing, and Route 23. That's pretty oh. much what they did. So, <laughs> But, uh, you know, back then that was pretty much all we had was coal jobs, yeah. and they chose not to take that career pathway. So. Now we're trying to diversify a whole complete region. Yeah. Well, I know you said you got a sister in Greenville, South Carolina, didn't you? I just, yes. uh, I've got to be in Columbia, South Carolina. Trisha's got folks everywhere. <laughs> she she got an Uber last night from the New Orleans airport, and the lady before her had been, had been from Pikeville, right? Right. Yeah. Well, she was yeah. from my hometown in Hazard, and the Uber driver said, hey, did you know, I just dropped a girl off, and she was on her way back to Hazard, and he told me who she was, and I'm like texting her. Hey, I just missed you. Come back. And then I said, i got to be in South Carolina next week. She said, "Oh, I got I got sister there. So so you you know folks everywhere." You so. have to ask Chuck Saxton about the trip when we took to Canada. We would pass by all these little oh. communities, and I'm like, "Well, I've got an aunt lives here." In Canada, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "You are kidding me." Oh. I'm like, "Well, I'm pretty well connected." So. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you got a show too, so you get to ask me some questions. Yes, I do. So I, 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 I don't. I don't. Uh, on this one, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get interviewed for a change, which my guests may they may be waiting for this. Somebody <laughs> asked me the hard question. That's right, Chad. I'm so excited that we're here in New Orleans today and it's just a beautiful beautiful sunny day I want to know about the next move group tell yeah. me about and I want to hear the story about your dad oh yeah I just yeah. love hearing that story yeah yeah so next move group we really focus on creating economic growth for small to mid-sized companies communities and nonprofit organizations and I can kind of talk about each of those but but it goes back really to our history so when I was a kid nine years old right around Thanksgiving it was this time of the year my dad got laid off. He worked at a sunbeam plant in a little rural Mississippi town. You know, the plant probably had 600 people. It's still there today, but it only has like five. It's just a warehouse now. They moved all the production overseas. And I remember just overnight, he lost his job. His twin brother worked there. My aunt and uncle worked there. You know, that's, this is what you did in this town. And so overnight, he lost his job. And, and ended up then getting into construction work, and uh, which paid good money, but he had to leave. He literally left home every Sunday, and we, we'd watch the Saints football game, which is why <laughs> I love the Saints to this day, and he'd leave after the ball game, go work, and come home on Friday night. And so I was really raised in a single-family home, not because of divorce, right. but my little town just didn't have any jobs. You know, what I get up every day really thinking about is how do we help small communities 
go out and recruit companies that are not going up and leave. That's what I like about Dashcore. Those are the type of companies we like to help. You know, Sunbeam, they're going to leave and go to China or Mexico to save a penny wherever they can, and that's their right. I'm not saying they're wrong to do that. But when you recruit a small to mid-sized company like Dashcore, you got them. You right. know, that company's going to grow there. They're not going up, and all of a sudden the spreadsheet says, I'm better off to put this production in Mexico, and everybody gets laid off one day. And so that's really the passion behind uh, what I do. And it's interesting, our other co-founder, Alex Metzger, he kind of came from a different back. You know, I was blue-collar, raised in rural Mississippi. He was kind of a country club boy raised in Paducah on the other side of the state, Paducah to Pikeville in Kentucky. Kentucky folks know what that means. And his family were entrepreneurs. They own meat processing facilities and, and were very successful. But Walmart put them out of business. Mm-hmm. When Walmart got into groceries, it put them out of business. And so when we started the company, we really said, how can we help small to mid-sized companies and communities really uh, you know, grow together? Because they all face similar situations. And so we started this thing now over five years ago. I think we've had 130 clients now, uh, all over the country in Canada, we've, helped, we've actually helped a company in Israel expand in the United States. And so what I have found, uh, two things. One, we say we help small to mid-sized. Everybody thinks they're mid-sized. It's funny. <laughs> when we did it, I didn't know. I thought, well, I don't want to limit us, you know. New Orleans is mid-sized. Now, when I grew up, I thought New Orleans was a big city. But if you talk to people in New Orleans, they think of themselves as mid-sized, you know. In some ways, Houston's big, but Dallas kind of thinks of itself as, <laughs> as mid-sized. So I have found as we've gotten into this, I say mid-sized and everybody goes, oh, that's for me. you know. Cause Maybe they I, just want to be included in the next Yeah, movement. yeah. <laughs> I only like Boston and New York and L.A. thinks they're not mid-sized. But, but that's really what our passion is behind it, and I think that's why we've been successful. Because, you know, when we get up in the mornings, I think back. I mean, I think back to my dad coming and I tell you, he and so that's why I really feel for the coal miners because that's similar person to my dad. When he lost his job, it's not only a job, but you almost lose some pride because sure. you think to yourself, "Here, I've worked at this plant twenty years, and again, Sunbeam has every right to do that. I'm not saying they don't, but here I've worked at this plant twenty years, and how easily I can be replaced by somebody in China, you know, making a quarter." You know, it it almost hurts your psyche in addition to just losing a job. And so I just think back a lot to that, to that sitting there that night when he came in and told us that, and and the whole house was just kind of quiet. Nobody knew what to say. It was a somber feeling. It was a somber feeling. And we were not wealthy folks. So, you know, we didn't really know where I was little, so I didn't know any different, but we didn't really know where the next check was going to come from. But, but that's really, whenever I get in a situation to where, you know, I'm having to decide what to do. You know, and you will in this business. You, you'll you'll face, you'll face, uh, you know, red tape and all this kind of. You know, I always go back right. to that and say, well, now, you know, what can I do to help somebody, like like what I went through, not have to go through that. That's a great story, Chad, and I really appreciate that so much because, you know, our jobs give us purpose. Mm-hmm. It gives us meaning in our lives, and when we lose that, it just takes so much it takes the wind out of your sails yeah and you know so many i didn't even realize this when we started but so many of our consulting competitors all they do is brag about all the fortune 100 companies if you go to their website and they'll brag about oh we helped all these big companies and i understand that's them proving they're credible but we're just right the opposite i don't want to help them companies if sunbeam comes and says help us move to mexico i'm not helping them I don't care how much money they pay us. You know, that, that's not what we're doing. And so I think that we have, 
accidentally kind of stumbled into a niche that nobody was really paying attention to and uh, we didn't really set out to say that's you know that's where we're gonna go but it's just our passion kind of took us there and uh, and now our reputation's grown and so now we're doing business I was in Cheyenne Wyoming this week you know when I was little I would have considered Cheyenne a big city right. state capital you know they they're a mid-sized city and uh, and they face a lot of the same issues as our other ones do. And so I think that I'm really enjoying how I'm finding as we grow, the small to mid-sized communities have similar issues, whether you're in the South or whether you're in North Dakota, Washington State. We're all more similar than we think we are. And, uh, and that's what I'm enjoying. You would think somebody with this Southern accent, I couldn't go off to Fargo, North Dakota and get and get by. But within five minutes, we all got the very same issues. And then so it kind of binds everybody together. Well, no matter where we go, we have an accent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got one too. East Kentucky's got an accent. That's exactly right. But we use it to the best of our ability. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it's a great conversation starter, I think, yeah. sometimes, especially when you're in the elevator and you give your 30-second elevator speech and that's you're right. saying, okay, where are you from? That's well, right. let me tell you where I'm from. That's let me right. tell you what I do. <laughs> well, know? and my accent's a little mixed because the New Orleans people, I don't sound New Orleans. If, if, if you're not from New Orleans, I sound New Orleans. But if you're from New Orleans, they all think I'm like from Homa or Thibodeau, <laughs> which is real South Louisiana. And I'm not. I'm from Mississippi. When I graduated college, I lived in Mobile, and Mobile, Alabama has a deep southern old-fashioned accent, kind of like a Savannah, you know. And I lived in Lafayette, Louisiana, and somehow I think I picked up a combination of the two, so I don't really sound like anybody. <laughs> if, you're from, if you're from out of here, you think I sound New Orleans. If you're from here, I don't, so it's just according to where you're from. I talk about that a lot, too, whenever I'm talking to people, Chad. But, you know, we've had a lot of little things happen in our lives. We've had a lot of different cultures happen right. in our lives. We don't let one particular thing define us, but it all of that makes up right. who we are. That's right. And that's the situation yeah. with you. And, you know, I'm finding more and more. Well, just this week, I told you I was in Chicago, Destin, and then Cheyenne. More and more towns are seeking smaller companies that pay good. I'm finding that. A lot of places are telling us, because, you know, we do executive searches, too. So when we do that, we meet all the board members and mayors and committees. And we're hearing a lot of towns now say, hey, we, we need 40 jobs that pay $25 an hour instead of 1000 that pay $12 an hour. And I'm hearing that a whole lot. I think the economy is better now. So, you know, now you can be a little more choosy. But uh, I, I like the fact that we have, because when I got into this, we just wanted jobs. I mean, I remember 2008 and nine. you took any job. It didn't right. matter what you were after. It took any job you wanted. But I'm finding now a lot of the small to mid-sized towns, they're kind of embracing what it is we've been preaching. It's good because I'm not preaching it. I go in and ask the places, you know, hey, what do you want? And they're telling me, we really would rather have small to mid-sized companies. We need 40 or 50 jobs that pay good. Because if we get 1000 in here that pays $10 an hour, they're just going to take labor. We really ain't accomplishing anything. And this is kind of what we've been saying for a while. So it's funny now. It seems like the market has caught up with us. And we're hearing this all around. And I love to hear it. Because when you do get one of those companies, you're going to have them. They're not going to up and move. They're not going to, you know, play you off another state for tax incentive. They might the first time when they locate there. 
But five years from now, they're not going to say, oh, you know, we're going to move to West Virginia if you don't give us all this money. You know, you just don't have to worry with that. You, you typically have them for the long term. I had a conversation with someone here yesterday in New Orleans, and they were t- asking me about my job, what I do, and I started telling them. And one of the success stories I think that we've had in eastern Kentucky, and I want to share that a little bit with you, and I want you to compare mm-hmm. that with some other things that you've done. We had a startup company called Silverliner in Pikeville, mm-hmm. and they needed some aluminum welders. And uh, these aluminum welders not only had to make things look stick together, but it had to look pretty. We posted oh. 50 jobs in eastern Kentucky for this company, and we received over 3,000 applications. Wow. 600 of those 3,000 people had some type of metalworking, welding, aluminum right. welding experience. And we did some major assessments with the employer involved with these people, and the skill set is there. I mean, the employer was absolutely blown away. And, you know, we, we talk about drug issues in mm-hmm. the workforce. We found when we did those assessments, we drug screened a lot of those people. Out of 150 people, we only had three fail a drug test. So if you're working with anyone that's looking to locate or expand, Eastern Kentucky is definitely the place to come to. You need to be advertising. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I wanted to bring it up. (laughs) Yeah. No, that is incredible. And the drug thing, so we're, we're hearing a lot of places where people will say, we'll get 50 resumes, but half of them. They have drug issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I really think that y'all have something that this country needs, and that's labor. And I mean, and it's just no question. And now it's just a matter of getting your story out, which Chuck's doing and you all are doing. I know the state of Kentucky is doing. So I think that's incredible. That is That, that beats any ratio I've heard lately. You know, but labor's trouble everywhere. We got a client in Cleveland, Ohio, can't hire an electrician. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they got electrician shortage up there. And, and, uh, and those are the skills those coal miners have. So there's a lot of electricians. Tell folks what a coal, you know, what all labor was in a coal mine. Because I didn't know growing up. I just think of a little man with a pickaxe, you know, picking coal. But it is really skilled. I know there's a lot of electricians and welders and maintenance people. So, Talk about the folks that may not know and, and, they, and hearing this, and they may go, well, that does make sense. They probably do have labor. What kind of folks worked in a coal mine? Well, they're, one thing, they have great work ethic. They will mm-hmm. show up for work on time. They will work from daylight to dark and never complain. Right. When Chuck Sexton and I and Dale Boyette and Kay Stebbins were working on the workforce study, one of the quotes that I think Dale tweeted many times <laughs> is that there was a coal miner in there that we actually interviewed, and he said, you know, we used to pray for a Saturday off, and now we just pray for a job. Wow. So yeah. they want to work. They have the intellect. Here's the thing with a, with a coal miner. I mean, I mean, even if your toaster tears up, they right. can tear that thing apart, fix it, and not <laughs> even think about it. Right. You know, their thought process is there. Mm-hmm. They're so, they can work in the aerospace industry. They can do metalworking. Mm-hmm. It it's just amazing at what all they can do. Mm-hmm. And the spouses, too, are very good. At, you know, we've helped many of them go back to school to be nurses. Yeah, yeah. In the medical field. And I know, really, uh, y'all didn't start heavily recruiting until, what, two years ago? Because when Chuck got there, he had took him a year to kind of build his infrastructure. Right. So when right. did, and already you're having success. I mean, it was about quick. two, a little over two years ago, I think, whenever that, you know, because I know Chuck has been, been out in uh, Paris, France. He's been to mm-hmm. Washington, Canada. And he's going out and talking to business and industry that's looking to expand. We also participated in the MRO America show in Mm -hmm. Orlando, Florida. 
And listen to this story. This is hilarious. We were there. We had a really good time, but we worked really hard during that mm-hmm. show. And we wanted to connect with some businesses that were looking to expand. We had more people come by our booth where we were promoting Eastern Kentucky. We had more people at our booth than Boeing and Airbus. <laughs> and you want to know why? Because of Chuck? Well, we were giving away. <laughs> <laughs> I figured he was singing karaoke. <laughs> away bourbon samples kentucky oh, bourbon yeah. so we had more people come by we had great conversations yeah. and chuck's still doing follow-up with some of those yeah. so we're hoping to have some more wins as a result of that you know kentucky's got some name brand stuff so uh when i moved up there i ran the paducah economic development and paducah's way over on the west i mean it, it's closer to st louis and nashville than frankfurt but I remember saying Larry Hayes was the cabinet secretary at the time. And I remember telling him, I said, we're going to be part of Kentucky. I don't care if we're stuck four hours away, close to St. Louis, we're going to be part of Kentucky. And so we embraced the Kentucky Derby and the bourbon and uh, the basketball. And that worked. I mean, and people, Kentucky fried chicken. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know I embraced that. But Kentucky has a brand. I mean, you know, people think highly of the horses and all. And even though Paducah was way away, we did all that stuff. And if we had a prospect, we'd send them a, something signed by John Calipari. You know, he's good about helping oh, with yeah. stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, and so I think Kentucky's got a good brand. The other thing about Kentucky is there's no real huge city. I mean, Louisville's a big city. But it's small enough state, everybody kind of knows each other. It's not like Texas or something where, you know, they're so big, you don't know each other. I mean, see, if you go to one conference, you kind of get to knowing each other. Yeah, that, and I'm glad. I'm so happy to hear your story about your connection with Kentucky as well. But Chad, you travel all over the United States, mm-hmm. and do, what other countries do you go? Uh, we've helped a bunch of Canadian companies come to the United States, and so we've probably helped. I'd have to count, you know, five or six, which is mm-hmm. a bunch to me since we've been in business five years. Come to the U.S. We're helping one food processing company right now out of the Edmonton, Canada area. So we've been heavy in Canada. We had a partner up there that just passed away, Bob Bathgate. And so we've got to kind of rethink our, you know, I don't have anybody up there now where we did. So we got to kind of rethink of our strategy in that terms. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of overseas travel. We have helped an Israeli company come to the U.S. And uh, actually, they put two distribution centers, one in Georgia and one in Indiana in the U.S. But we haven't really done a whole lot overseas, but we've done a whole lot in Canada. And I figure we better dominate the U.S. and Canada first before we right. do a whole lot overseas. But that's in our growth strategy as we as we go along. I'm, I, I was raised on a farm, so I don't like traveling a whole lot. My, my business partner, Alex, loves all that. So I'm going to give all that to him one of these days. Say, we have a whole lot in common. So yeah. was I. I was raised on a farm. Yeah. <laughs> I say that having got off a plane at midnight last night. I got to be on another one Tuesday. So we're traveling right now you know the funny thing about business we uh, we grew right out of the bat and and then we kind of got to a steady you know we're making a nice living and then we kind of got to a steady uh, point and then but then all of a sudden this year I mean we have just exploded with growth and it's kind of taking me back to when we first started because I'm killing myself being on all these airplanes I would say so but when we first started that's what we did to grow and then we kind of you know we got to a little steady label that this year the growth just come at us you know next week I got to be in Georgia and South Carolina at one time the next week I got to be in Shreveport and in Texas 
Texas. Not complaining. These are all good right. problems to have. But it's just funny in business. And Chuck and I have talked about this because he has a real interest in entrepreneurship. You don't just grow steady like, you know, I'm holding up like the people can see us. I'm holding up my hand. That's like, okay. Yeah, You're you doing see. the pie yeah. chart. <laughs> you don't just grow up steady. You know, you go, then you kind of flatline, and then you go again. You yeah. Know? And so we're, we're experiencing one of those go-agains right now. And uh, which has caused a lot of travel. So I think we're, getting back to your question though, I think we're getting to the point that we're going to have to do more international stuff because we're, we're grown enough now to where nearly everybody in the U.S. knows about us. So it's time to take the show on the road overseas. So you're creating jobs in the United States of America, right, small to business. And do you have a ballpark number of how many jobs you've assisted to create? Oh, oh it'd be hard to say. I mean, on the site selection, so the, the plants or the facilities that we've helped people locate, it's probably between 1,000 and 2,000. I would have to stop and really think. Now, but we've helped, oh, I don't know, 40, 40 to 50 communities hire an economic developer. And of those, I think we've only had two or three that have let their person go since we've done it. We've been doing it five years now. And so we can't take credit for the jobs all those people recruit, right. but we help towns find people that know what they're doing rather than just, you know, let's go hire Sally Mae or whatever. I mean, we right. help them find an experienced economic developer. And nearly, we, we figured out one day 80% of them have won a project within a year. Now, some of them are in little small towns. Some are in, we have the World Trade Center in New Orleans. You know, it's easy for them to win something. Right. But 80% have won something within a year. And so there's no telling the thousands of jobs they've all created that we really can't take credit for, but we feel part of because we helped the town find somebody that knew what they were doing. And, and do you help train them people, the we, new We AD do directors? if we need to. It's coordinate. You know, some of them are well-established, don't need any training. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's coordinate. The, the bigger cities, we don't because typically we're, we're finding people who've been doing it 10 or 15 years some of the small towns we have because they've hired people maybe right out of college or or find somebody kind of like coal miner that right. has skills that are transferable but not in this field yet and so we've provided you know support to them i know you're very good about going around and sharing stories and best practices yeah. which also helps a lot of economic yeah. development people yeah and we've had competitors on our podcast people say to me you don't need to tell everybody all your secrets that i don't really think that way to me the pie grows it grows <laughs> you know right. it grows for all of us now but what our mission what ties us back together is we want to create jobs for for the u.s and so if a company hires us to put a plan in germany i, I don't know that we would do that project if a German company hires us to find a place in the U.S. to put a plant, we'll for sure do that. All in. I mean, that's what our mission is. If you go to our website, you see a flag there. You know, I mean, that, that's what our mission is. You know, because I think you, you got you to gotta stick to what it is that you're passionate about. What I find is the more you stick to that, the, the more people be drawn and, and, and hire you because this is what we do. You know, right. we don't take plants to Mexico. We don't take plants to China or Germany or wherever. So I, I think and the more the economy is good, I think we're seeing more smaller jobs project, but bigger capital investment. You know, we are seeing that. I mean, we just signed up in the last week a $200 million capital investment, and it's not a whole lot of jobs. But if the people spend that kind of money, they're going to be in the United States for quite a while. And so, you know, we, we like those projects as well. How do you advise an economic developer to get involved with their workforce professionals? That is a good question. So when I look at workforce from the company side, sitting on the site selection type side, they kind of, I think, look at it three ways, you know. How can I find people, number one? And so I think an economic developer needs to figure out who in the community can help me find people, recruit them, 
warm bodies. How do I get resumes? How do I get people? Number two, companies want to know how can I help screen these people. And so to me, organizations like yours and others can help screen resumes once they come in so that if you do have a thousand resumes for five jobs, a company has some assistance doing that. And then lastly, how do we train them? So I tell economic developers, when you think about your workforce, think of it three ways. How do we recruit? How do we screen? How do we train? And in some cases, you may have an organization that can help you do all three, or you may have one that really can only do one of the three, you know, but you need to figure out how to create a brochure or, you know, a, a one-piece thing that says, this is how we help you recruit, and maybe it's five entities, you know, the workforce board, the community college, whatever. This is how we screen, this is how we train. It can kind of tie it all together because I have seen some states that, they almost work in silos and they do all of that stuff. They do every bit of that stuff, but they never really connect with the company that this is how we do these three things. And so to me, if, if I'm an economic developer, I want to get out there and meet all my different potential providers and kind of figure out what of this they can do so I can put a cohesive menu in front of a client that they can kind of pick from if that makes any sense. Very good advice too, Chad. I appreciate that. And, you know, EKSEP, our workforce development agency, we do all three. Mm -hmm. We do the screening. We find the folks. We also assist in tra uh, paying for some of the training for the employer. Right. So we're, we love those type projects. Well, you know, workforce development is kind of a buzzword. So a lot of, a lot of other folks will claim they do it. And then you can try to really figure out what exactly <laughs> do they do. And so I just, I'm common sense. I just try to, you know, which of these recruit you know screen train which of these do they do and a lot of times you'll find that if different entities will do one of those things but they won't do all three and that's fine so long as you know what it is they do and then you can present that to the to the company very good thank you you know the other thing i will say often the hr manager is not involved on a big level in the site selection process so a lot of times the site selection process is being run by the ceo the coo the cfo who's interested in taxes at all. And so a lot of times the HR managers will understand all your workforce programs because this is their job. Right. Unfortunately, they're not usually on the site selection team. They should be, but they're not. And so a challenge that communities have, how do you sell what you're doing to this CEO that probably don't even understand <laughs> what the HR person does. You know, you got to think to yourself that you may be dealing with folks who understand logistics and customers, but they may not really know much about what their HR department does. And so I think that communities need to figure out how to get through that first workforce question. You know, when you get that RFP, how do I get past this? Because usually once you become a finalist and you're in the last two or three, then they will bring their HR people in. And now you can sit with them and talk business and they'll understand what you're doing. But I think to me, the communities that stand out figure out how do we sell all we're doing on that recruiting, screening and training right out of the bat to that CEO from a 30 second high level elevator pitch standpoint. Because a lot of times that CEO is not going to understand some of the industry jargon that the HR manager will when they get involved. And like you said, the CEO pretty much relies on the HR manager or director. They know, the HR folks know what the company needs and what they're looking for. That's right. That's exactly makes right. makes common sense. That's exactly yes. right. So I think getting that elevator pitch down, which y'all got labor there. You know, what's tough is when you don't have any labor. <laughs> like a lot of the rest of the parts of the right. country. Then figuring out what is your elevator pitch. That, that would be a little bit tougher, I would say.
Well, Chad, is there anything else that you want folks on my podcast channel to know about the Next Move Group and Chad Chancellor? You know, not really us. I would just say I admire what folks in East Kentucky are doing. I mean, I really do. And uh, it shows the need for good economic development professionals, you know. And so what, what really aggravates me, and it happens every now and then, particularly around political races, is, you know, folks will say, well, we don't need economic development people. Just let the market let the market figure out where folks go. And, uh, well, the truth is, if that's the case, then East Kentucky may not ever win anything because you're not out there. People don't know that you have this labor. Somebody's got to be out there telling it. And so, uh, to me, what y'all are doing just proves the, the need for economic development people and workforce people to do all of this stuff. And that it's not just, uh, you know, just some program. I mean, that it actually works. And so I actually have used y'all as I've traveled the country as a, um, as a model of a place that it's working well in. And, and so I admire what y'all are doing. And, and uh, you know, what we do is perfectly aligned with what y'all are doing. But as long as you and Chuck are there, y'all know what we do. So you bring <laughs> us in when you, you can bring us in when you need to. And uh, we appreciate the kind words. And I appreciate the opportunity, yeah. Chad, and for you to show me your beautiful city. And, yeah, uh, I'm going to give you some tips where to go tonight. So. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks.